Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Riverfront. This is episode number 437 of the World's Most Dangerous Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Chad Dotson. This is also episode number two of uh, this week. <laughs> Join me this week. He's not my friend. I don't like him at all, but I have to spend time with him uh, far too often. But uh, since I have to be inf- afflicted with uh, with Nate Dotson, and you do as well, I'm kidding. He's the man, the myth, the legend. How are you, Nate? I am stupendous. Somebody has to rein you in from time to time. I'm going to bring the spirits up around here. So you know, you're welcome. It's funny, you know, um, it's not funny. He talks about bringing the spirits up. Uh, not uh, more than two minutes ago. I was not happy. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It has nothing to do with uh, Phil Castellini or the Reds or Luis Castillo or whatever. Uh, we just uh, recorded this podcast and um, and had a blast. I mean, literally a ton of laughs. I really had a great time. It was one of the, one of the most fun uh, episodes that no one will ever see because this garbage uh, service we're using this week will be the last week of that. Um, yeah, I didn't record, so we're doing it again, Nate. <laughs> Listen, we had so much fun. We just had to bring it back. There were a couple <laughs> rough patches that I didn't feel great about. I'm glad that we can get rid of those. Yeah. Try this again. I don't know. There's, there's worse things that uh, you know, can happen in my day, I guess, than hanging out with my big bro for another hour. That's, a, that, that's actually true, talking about baseball. and um, Yeah, yeah we got to iron out the rough patches from the last one. That was just a practice run, I guess. But anyway, whatever. Let's, let's get let's into it. Let's not make a habit of it. Let's not make a habit of it. I don't want to do this every week. But yeah, This is actually our third podcast of the week, Nate. <laughs> our third episode. One's lost to uh, history, I guess. Whatever. That's all right. Uh, we're here to talk about the Cincinnati Reds. It's been an interesting week in Reds uh, world. Red Leg Nation, as I like to call it. It's, you know, the trade deadline earlier. If you didn't see our trade deadline episode that we uh, recorded literally at the trade deadline, 6 o'clock on Tuesday, um, had five of us together. It was a blast. We had a lot of laughs. And, you know, I thought it was a pretty fair recounting of what happened at the trade deadline. We'll talk about some of that uh, in this episode as we as we kind of go through things. But, uh, uh, you know, there was, we talked about the, the positives. We, and there were positives. Nick Crawl did a great job at the trade deadline. If we concede that he had to trade players, and he probably did for his job. Um, And I think we were fair about the fact that it's kind of a disgrace that we have to trade guys like Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley because they're good. So anyway, go listen to that. I think it it holds up very well. It's in your audio feeds if you listen to the podcast by audio, and it's obviously also on YouTube. Uh, Before we go much further, I would say smash that subscribe button uh, while you're here. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're not watching YouTube, go on YouTube. Smash listen, you have consent. Smash that subscribe button. Okay. And, uh, you know, get those, get those numbers up. I know, I know a lot of you listen to us on the audio feed. It's always going to remain on the audio feed. That's how I listen to almost all of my podcasts. But, uh, you know, you know, the kids these days, Nate, that they, they like the rock and roll and the YouTubes. They love the YouTubes, yeah. but always remember no smashing without consent. Yes, exactly. So you do have consent to smash the subscribe button here and uh, and and uh, and follow us at YouTube. Nate, we're going to get into this, and again, we're going to talk more about the um, trade deadline and everything that's going on in the Reds world today. But the way we did it this week is something that I think we're going to try to do uh, more often. We discussed after our last show that didn't record. Um, this was fun. It's a good, you know, we do, we've done it occasionally over the years, but this is an all viewer mail episode. Nothing but viewer mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, still going to be able to get into the topics of the week that what's going on. But uh, the fact of the matter is, some of these questions are fantastic, and uh, I'm excited yeah. to answer them for a second time. 
That's right. As long as the uh, the viewers, the listeners, everybody keeps coming correct with these awesome questions, then uh, we can have a good time doing this. Otherwise, this would be a lot more painful than it otherwise would have been. Right. It's a good thing they were good questions. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's dive right in. Let's do that. Now, these questions this week come from obviously every week. They come from our friends at patreon.com slash Riverfront Sensi, where you too can support the podcast. And in every week, you know, you get to join us on our Slack channel and all that. And, and you get to ask questions. We also opened it up this week because it is an all of your episode to our friends at uh, Twitter, twitter.com slash Riverfront Sensi, or as they say in the parlance of our times, at Riverfront Sensi. And Ooh. so we'll get into those. But first, let's go with the, the Patreon questions. First one comes from our friend Joey Gaditza. Joey Gaditza. If you listen to the show, you know is from up north. And uh, by up north, I mean the, the the country of Canada. Hey, guys. Watching Lodolo, Green, and Ashcraft. That's Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, and, and uh, I don't know who Ashcraft's first name. Watching those guys twirl three consecutive gems is definitely exciting. Is watching these three develop before us the most positive thing of this season? The answer to that, uh, certainly going forward, I think is yes. But you want to kind of reflect on that question, Nate? I think it is a resounding yes. I loved, um, you know, Joey mentioned watching them throw three consecutive gems. The uh, the stat that popped popped up said that since the earned run became an official stat in 1913, the Reds are the only MLB team to start three straight rookies and have them combine for 18-plus strikeouts and no more than one earned run allowed. I mean, these guys are going to dictate the – future success of this franchise, maybe for the next seven to 10 years, if we're lucky. And they have been so far above any reasonable expectations. It's insane. I mean, what Hunter Green has been doing is, is absurd. In the last month, he's had a 2.7 ERA over four games with a 1.1 whip. Um, Nick Lodolo, 3.88 expected ERA in the season. And then Graham Ashcraft, he's been pitched into the eighth twice this season. He's got that 3.72 expected ERA, and he's just railing, smelling salts, salts right before he takes them out every inning, which is hilarious. He's like all the good things about Kenny Powers and none of the bad. I'm all in on these young guys. <laughs> it's 100% a reason to be pumped. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, Ashcraft, uh, close to a perfect, uh, not a perfect game, a complete game uh, this week, and just it was. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch, and I, and I kind of needed those three. Yeah. After after what we saw at the trade deadline, I kind of needed those three to kind of step up, and they did it. They, you know, just so much fun to watch. Uh, Hunter Green was the first. His start, most recent start, was the first game I watched after the trade deadline fiasco. Uh, but but because I can't, I'm I'm stuck here. I can't. It's appointment television to watch um, Hunter Green. It just is, and so. Without question to me, those three guys the rest of the way, that's the thing to watch. Plenty of other things to watch, as we'll talk about, but uh, that's really, it's, it's, that's the most exciting thing to watch, those three. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess I guess I should say that I'm critical of the Reds. We're going to continue being critical of the Reds occasionally when we need to be. You know, I mean, uh, if you think the thing, if everything's rosy, you're just not, not been paying attention for, oh, I don't know, the last three decades. But there are some things that are rosy, and this is one of them. And... Uh, I just, I, I will listen to no slander about these three guys. And it's funny. I mentioned those guys sometimes on Twitter and uh, it happened last week. It blows my mind. Okay. First of all, yes, I would like to have Castillo and, and Luis Castillo and Tyler Miller with those guys, but I've made a comment about how those three, you know, they're pretty, pretty good. And I had more than one person say to me, well, yeah, I trust Lodolo and Ashcraft. 
But Hunter Green, he's shown me, you know, he's shown me nothing. Well, first of all, he's 14 years old. He's a kid. And if if you don't think that Hunter Green, and I love Liddell and Ashcraft, but if you don't think Hunter Green is the most talented of that group, I don't know what to tell you. You're not you're not watching the same game I'm watching. Hunter Green, to me, I, he has – I'm not saying he's going to be like these guys, but he is the only one of the three that has the talent level, I think, to kind of reach up and be um, a Luis Castillo type, a Johnny Cueto type, a uh, Jose Rio type. I, I, and those are the you know three the three best Cincinnati Reds pitchers in the last three decades. Hunter Green can be those. Guys. I'm not saying he will be. I don't know. But if you don't if you don't think all three of those guys are the most exciting thing ever, man, just. I don't know. Uh, go watch the the Bengals. I guess I, I don't know what to tell you, man. They're great. I'll take Mike Miner. It's fine. Yikes! All right. Next question comes from our buddy Seth Shaner, and this is a good question. I really like this question. Again, these uh, these first questions come from our friends at Patreon.com/slash Riverfront Cincy. Seth asks this: Does it make me weak if acceptance is seeping in? I'm feeling a need to accept my Castellini overlords and shift hope for the Reds' success to seeing what Marte has done. Uh, and, of course, he's talking about our, our new our new best friend down there uh, who came over in the Luis Casillo trade, Noel V. Marte. Let's see. I'm feeling a need to accept my Castellini overlords and shift hope for the Reds' success to see what Marte has done in Dayton. Please help me understand my feelings. Uh, let me just, I'll briefly say something here. And then I'll let you answer, Nate. I, I, I think, frankly, um, Seth, buddy, you, you're just going to have to accept it. it, it if you, you don't have to accept it. If you don't want to accept it, then don't watch this team because they're not going to be good for the next couple of years. Uh, it's just a fact. Again, we're going to tell you the truth. But um, acceptance kind of needs to seep in because this is who this team is, given what Castellini has done to this. The Castellini's have done to this organization. And so if you want to enjoy baseball and listen, it's baseball supposed to be fun, right? Uh, It's a diversion. There are things to be excited about. So uh, Marte in Dayton, what, what incredible debut for that guy. My goodness. Um, So, so Seth, I'm with you, man. That's, those are my feelings as well. We're not going to ignore the nonsense. The Castellanes have kind of dumped on us, but if you want to watch baseball and you definitely want to watch baseball because you're, you're watching and listening to, the riverfront right now and only the the most hardcore are still following the red season so yeah no i'm with you seth nate yeah no that's uh that's really well said i mean it's it's baseball it's it's, it's just sports and granted we care more about this franchise than it seems like most people do um but that said you know there's going to be highs there's going to be lows revel in the highs as long as you can whenever you can and when the lows come, don't sting it for a minute and then just let them roll roll right off. The root for the guys we've got and enjoy whatever fun they allow us to have. It's baseball. It's baseball. What are you going to do? I mean, you know, uh, again, we're going to tell you the truth, but there are things to be excited about. There are things uh, that are really fun about the the next couple of years to watch if you adjust your expectations, okay? We're not, we're not going to be competing for championships. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy Marte. It doesn't mean you can enjoy these uh, new, uh, uh, you know, uh, these new prospects plus the pitchers, plus Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson. And, and as Kent Brockman would say, I for one welcome our new insect overlords. 
little little Simpsons reference for you there, Nate. I guess. Next question from Jerry Saduth. Jerry asks, Chad, why do you hate the hall? <laughs> Seriously, though, the Reds' ownership has won one vital thing. They've successfully convinced too many fans they're just too poor to pay for talent. Can this be changed? If so, how? Two things there. Uh, why do I hate the hall? Um, I love the hall that the Reds got for Luis Castillo and Tyler. I love the hall. I've really enjoyed making fun of people saying, oh, we got a hall. As opposed to, you know, we, we actually had a Luis Castillo, an all-star, <laughs> you know, but everybody wants the hall. Reds fans, because they have this Stockholm syndrome that ownership over the years has convinced them that uh, the Reds have to trade uh, all their good players. They have to sell, have to sell, sell, sell. And uh, that goes into the second part of Jerry's question, which is that, um, yes, they have successfully convinced to me fans that are too poor to pay, pay for talent. Can this be changed? Uh, yes, it can and will be changed, is my answer to that. Um, I'm not going to quit making fun of the hall because I can't believe that fans are, care more about getting a hall than having good players. But uh, And I just think it's hilarious. But my, my opinion is, as soon as an owner in Cincinnati, whether it's the Castellinis or whoever, decides they're really truly going to try to win, Reds fans will be back the very next day. <laughs> Attendance is garbage this year. We had the sell the team Bob thing. I mean, it's uh, fans are out on the Reds right now more than they have been in years. But the very second that some owner, and it could be the Castellanis, I don't. This not, we have 16 years of evidence saying it's not going to be. But as soon as someone says we're we're really going to try to compete here, like the, the the Padres are doing, for example, Reds fans will be back the next day. Mm-hmm. And I, well, first of all, I'll let you I'll let you answer that. Do you agree? Disagree? What do you think, Nate? I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, Jerry wants to know what they can do. Well, they they have to at least convince us that this trade deadline was step one, meaning that there is a real plan in place and that they're going to see it through, which I'm going to choose to believe because I value happiness and sanity. And we have no evidence saying that it's going to be that way, but I'm not going to go through life as the guy, the guy that, you know, it's just always looking at the bottom half of the glass. I'll do that most of the time. But what they need to do if they want to get butts in the seats and they want to get the fans to start rallying around them again is step one, they just did trade deadline. Get a lot of great young talent. Step two, extend the young talent you have. Get Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson. Buy up those arbitration years. Um, get a few years of free agency after that. Explore similar deals with Hunter Green, Nicoladolo, Graham Ashcraft, even though the you know, pitchers are risky but it would signal to them and to the community that, you know, they're a real part of the future. And this is what we're building upon. After that, have an accelerated timeline for the guys in the minors. See what you have in McLean, Steer, Encarnacion, Strand, any of the other guys that you think might be a part of the 2024 team. Don't let them just linger in the lower rungs of the minor leagues. Bring them up, be aggressive, see what you got. Other than that, you know, they're going to have to make some moves in the offseason. They are going to have to pay for some talent, get two or three productive vets, um, you know, in the bullpen and the, you know, in the lineup, position players. And then the last thing, and this is probably the biggest thing for me, is they cannot be sellers at next year's trade deadline. Think back to the theory behind what they did in 2019, if not the players that they acquired, but some guys that can contribute for the following year that you can get at a good price that are not named 
Trevor Bauer and Mike Moustakis to make 2024 a year where you actually expect to turn the corner. Maybe they don't make the playoffs. Maybe they don't make a run. But they got a lot of exciting young talent, and they need to put some people around them. Other than that, lifetime contract for Joseph Daniel Votto. That wins me over. Bobby Benilla okay. style, except he actually wears a uniform. All right. First of all, I, I got to circle back. Ooh. If the Reds aren't sellers at next year's trade deadline, how can they get a haul? Come on. What get if they that trade haul? for a player whose name is Hall? Ooh. Bring back Bill Hall? Does that work? Oh, huh? man. Reds killer Bill Hall. Um, yeah, okay. Everything you just said is correct. I do not, and I will not believe that the Castanets will, will do that, but they could change sure. their mind. They change their minds every 18 months and go a different direction. Uh, so maybe, but, but the, the overall, the larger point is that, you know what? Uh, there is a path to being competitive in the not, you know, it's not the near future, but it's not that far off if they want to, they got the, they got some pitching. They got they, they got the hall in the minor leagues. Uh, some decent, two decent uh, and only two maybe uh, decent position players in the big leagues right now. So there's, a, it just but just show us that you you're trying. I mean, I think the Bengals are a perfect example, and I think maybe part of the reason why Reds fans have kind of it's so easy for them to believe that we're too poor, we're too poor, we can't compete is because the Bengals have been awful for so many years, and the Reds have been awful, and so it's kind of fans have been dumped on so much that it's no, no surprise that they think, well, we can't compete. We never compete in Cincinnati. And so, but you see what happens with the Bengals one year of, of competing. Well, not quite just one year, but pretty much, I mean, you know, um, but it's certainly uh, one year plus of uh, the franchise actually knowing what they're doing and really trying to compete. And they have 28,000, uh, 30,000 people at a practice. So if the Reds will just decide they're going to win, and, and you know maybe the Castellani saw all the the lines around the block for uh, Juan Soto's debut out in San Diego and said, "Oh, you know, yeah, we Brandon should." Drury. We should. Brandon Drury's debut. Sorry, that's right, Brandon Drury. Who, uh, first of all, rest in peace, Brandon Drury. Home run on the first pitch he saw for the Padres. Go, Brandon Drury. Um, so if they, if if Phil Castellani or whoever's running the team these days wakes up tomorrow and says. We we should do that. Well, uh, the Reds fans will be back. I, I, I yeah. firmly I firmly believe it. I will never not believe it. The Cincinnati fans are hungry for a winner. All right, James Urban next. James Urban, uh, because I made the mistake of asking over on Patreon for goofy questions. He says he has two of them. First, what would be your death row meal? Nate, you're on death row for murdering Phil Castellini. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Don't, Nate, I'm, as your legal advisor, I, do not murder Phil Castellini or anyone else. Okay. okay. But if you're now on death that. row, <laughs> if you're on death row, what's your what's your final meal? All right. So I enjoy these goofy questions. My meal, you're going to start me off with a little gnocchi appetizer. Love it. Maybe some freshly baked bread. Then you're going to hit me with a little 12-ounce ribeye cooked just a smidge above rare. A side of roasted potatoes. Maybe some Brussels sprouts. I don't know what the budget is here. I don't know how much food I'm allowed to have, but there is a limit. I don't know. Then you're going to finish me off with some salted caramel ice cream for dessert, and then just dump me in the river, baby. Just get rid of the body. I'm good to go. <laughs> oh, 
I love it. Uh, you can tell that uh, during during lockdown, Nate uh, decided to become a chef. That's the first thing, um, and he's a very good one. I can uh, I can attest. But let me just say this: I had intended to say that I wanted a sky rosa for my uh, final meal, but you've taught me. Now. I want I'll have I'll have what he's having. Uh, to paraphrase a famous movie quote: You eat the sky rosa if you are trying to get to death's doorstep. <laughs> yeah, so if you if you want to hurry in to get to, to the the final, uh, what happens when you're on death row? Maybe maybe start with that Sky Rosa. All right, second question from James Urban: What is the greatest television show of all time? I have an answer for this. Um, your answer that you're going to give is probably I, I I could I could support your answer, but for me, how do you know what my answer is? I'm just guessing. We're kind of you know. We've never answered these before. <laughs> Gosh, what a time to be alive. We get to do two of these shows today. Uh, for me, my answer is Sherlock. Uh, this is the BBC show starring Benedict Cumberbatch and like the, the Hobbit guy. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think he's a Hobbit. I don't know. Bill, Bill Bobo. Martin Baggins Freeman. I think yeah. I don't know if he played. I, don't know. I watched the... Uh, I, 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 Took a trip overseas and uh, watched uh, on the way back. I watched the first of the uh, the Lord of the Rings movies there, Nate. There's I don't want to hear it. In it. I don't want to hear it. Anyway, so uh, but uh, Sherlock is uh, you know there's only like nine or ten episodes. Uh, they don't have seasons. They call them series, but they have three seasons that are uh, I think three episodes each. Maybe one of them has four, but mm -hmm. nine or ten episodes. They're each like an hour and a half long, so they're mini movies. But it is the best thing I've ever seen on television. Although I'm a little bit of a here, here, I hate to say this out loud because this is, I shouldn't say this in public, but a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes nerd, a little bit of a fanboy, Nate. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, I, I did go to 221B Baker Street when I was in London there a couple of weeks ago, uh, much to the chagrin of my family. But, uh, but that's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sherlock, it's amazing. Nate, what's your answer? I can't confirm if you haven't seen Sherlock, go do it. You will not regret it. Um, I wanted to say a show that was, you know, was in the public consciousness more than any show that I can ever recall, Game of Thrones, but the last two seasons of that one just ruined it for me. So I will go with The Wire. Um, if you haven't yes. seen The Wire, it is a, I don't even know how to describe it so much as it is a TV show about the city of Baltimore. And it's the, the, the criminal side, the police side, the political side, and it's got Idris Elba, so that means it's definitely good. Um, some of the best writing, some of the best character development, The Wire, for sure. Yeah, incredible. And and really, other than Sherlock, The Wire is my my number two. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's perfectly crafted. It's well written, like you said. It's just it's it's completely amazing. It's it. I don't have anything bad to say. I, I went to Baltimore. Uh, I went to Baltimore last weekend. Did you know that? Nobody's perfect. Oh man, that's not very nice. But uh, yeah, the wire—that's what I would say. Um, you know, if we had had this conversation before, I imagine that you might have said something like, "Sherlock didn't maybe land the plane in this last season like they uh, maybe could have." And I think some people would say that about the wire as well. But still, the five seasons of the wire are just yeah. just unbelievable. Just uh, I'm going to rewatch it. Amazing. So good question. Uh, any, any, any other honorable mentions you want to add in there, Nate? The one I would throw out is probably it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. <laughs> I mean, 
not quite uh, not a lot of similarities between the three, but 17 seasons or something like that. 15 seasons. I don't know. Yeah. That's hilarious. Nate convinced me to watch that and it was amazing. Uh, I would, I brought me throughout also the Sopranos, uh, which we're rewatching yeah, right now, which is great. Um, and also a good rule of thumb, more Danny DeVito in your life is a good thing. Oh my goodness. Yes, please. More Danny DeVito. All right. Uh, br- here, this is an example of the issues around our Patreon family. Every week we say, come join our Patreon family. What you don't understand is that we all have deep seated issues and that's maybe misery loves company. Maybe that's why we enjoy each other. We had two questions this week from Brian Bowdy and Rich Thompson that <laughs> related to the 1982 Cincinnati Reds. So let's, let's take these together. Brian says, which current position players on the active roster, not the injured list would have started for the 1982 Reds. Rich asks, how do you think that this current roster compares with the 1982 Reds? Will history say that the 2022 Reds are less than memorable and or unremarkable uh, than the 82 Reds? P.S. Remember, we're comparing the likes of Alex Trevino, Paul Householder, and Bruce Barini. So now the 1982 Reds, for those of you that weren't around, I was not following baseball yet in 82. I was around. Nate wasn't. Um, they finished with 101 losses. 61-101, finished in last place in the National League's Western Division, uh, managed by John McNamara. Uh, it was actually wasn't a bad manager, but he was fired, and Russ Nixon took his place, and they were just really, really, really bad. Um, so I, I think the way, to, the way to answer this question, Nate, is, um, well, two ways. First of all, to Rich's question, are the Reds going to lose more games than the 1982 Reds, 101? I think it's in play, but I don't think that they will do it. They're not on pace to do it now. No, but it's, it's closer than I'm comfortable with. I think, they, I think they will, and this is not just me being uh, you know, pessimistic, but just they, Casillo's gone, Miley's gone. You know, uh, we don't love Tommy Fan, but he and Naquin are gone. Um, uh, Drury is gone. I, I've lost a lot. I'm afraid they're not going to be able to – I don't think they're going to lose 115 games, but they could, they could get 101. So the other part of that question that I think is really interesting is uh, which which Reds on the current team could have started for the 1982 current position players, he asked. So let's go position by position. We'll start it's with not, catcher. It's not great. <laughs> say that. Let's actually, we should say that right from the beginning. Um, I would have thought this was going to be like not that difficult, but this is not good, is it, Nate? <laughs> it's. The 22-22 Reds don't stack up that well. Having to uh, <laughs> litigate this twice in a day is not recommended for the soul. <laughs> no, man. Oh, man. Let's yeah, go let's position, position, position. Yeah, catcher. 1982, Alex Trevino. And, and perhaps Brian was smart by the way he wrote this question. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. on the injured list because Tyler Stevenson is obviously the answer, but – Whoever the current question, her current catcher is, uh, Austin Romine is maybe now, but uh, the paper factory, Mike Papirski or uh, or Kalev's or whoever is catcher for the race versus Alex Trevino. It's Alex Trevino. Somehow, somehow, it might be the only time any question of who was better 
Alex Trevino or another person. It's like he's actually been the answer. Yeah, Alex Trevino, uh, 120 games, 251 batting average, 318 on, uh, on base, 74 OPS plus. I mean, he's one of the – again, if Alex Trevino's family's listening, I'm sorry, but he's one of the worst Reds catchers in my lifetime, and he's better than any non-Tyler Stevenson catcher the Reds have. Right, I'm going to drop this next one on you. I want you to do this one because I don't want to do this one. First base, Nate. That's rude, first off. Danny Dreesen, 1982, Danny Dreesen. 19, so it's, uh, or 2022, Joey Votto. So it depends on how you want to answer this. If you were going by beginning of the season, looking at previous years, who are you going to be starting? Then it's easy. It's Joey Votto as the future Hall of Famer. But if you are... Looking at this from the end of each season and who had a better season, who gave your team a better chance to win. Dan Dreesen had a 119 OPS plus. (laughs) He had a pretty good year. Votto could end up there, but he's got some work to do. It's at 97 right now, not stellar defense. Um, I I mean, the answer is Joey. If you're creating a roster, you want Joey Votto on there even at this point in his career, but I didn't enjoy looking at those numbers and having to actually think about it for a minute. Yeah, no, Dan Dreesen was good that year. Uh, maybe the best Reds hitter that year. And uh, those of you of my vintage will remember, well, actually, I don't remember this part before me. Dreesen was the guy who made Tony Perez expendable on the big red machine. You know, he's a, and a good player. He was a good player. He's not Joey Votto. I'm taking, I don't care what the numbers are. I'm taking Joey Votto, but if you compare, 2022 Joey Votto to 1982 Dan Dreesen. It's, I don't like this comparison. So, but I'm going Joey Votto. Yeah. I hate this question. Yeah. Awful question. All right. So, second base, we're going with uh, Jonathan India. You've heard of that guy in 2022. The second baseman in uh, 1982, Reds Hall of Famer, Ron Oster. Got to be the Hall of Famer, right? This was probably the only slam dunk for me in the whole roster. Jonathan India is just having a better season. And that's saying a lot because Jonathan India not having a great season, at least not until here recently. But but Ronnie Oster is a is a Reds Hall of Famer. For reasons unknown. <laughs> I loved Ron Oster growing up uh, because there was a baseball court. I've told this story on the show before, I think, but there's a baseball card that had like uh, you know, every every team had their team leaders back then on the baseball card back in the day. And Ron Oster was the team batting average leader at 269, oh, whatever no. year that was. <laughs> no, so uh, Reds Hall of Famer, and I like the guy because he played for the Reds for a long time. But yeah, give me Jonathan India. It's not even close. Uh, third base, third base, Nate. Uh, I guess we're talking about current Reds. This is an opportunity for us to discuss who the current third baseman is for the Reds, Kyle Farmer. He's not hey, the shortstop anymore. News, it's got to be the farm dog at third base for the 2022 Cincinnati Reds. Um... Kyle Farmer is, just by looking at his stats, I've never seen the guy play. Never heard of him until this question was mentioned. So I don't know what kind of uh, you know hustle and grit he has. But just looking at the numbers, it seems pretty apparent that Kyle Farmer's not good at hitting baseballs. Oh, don't do that. He's the heart and hustle nominee for the Reds or whatever garbage they uh, tweeted. And no, he, but, he hustles. I like I like Kyle Farmer. Yeah, I shouldn't say like that. Like for sure. That's still joke. Kyle Farmer. But third base for that 1982 Cincinnati Reds team, a guy you may have heard of, a guy named Johnny Bench. 
I don't think there is any world where you're not starting Johnny Pinch when he's on your team unless you, know, you literally the just, following season. <laughs> you literally just said there's no universe. Uh, that's not the word, word you use, but uh, in which you don't start Johnny Bench at third base. But I would remind you that the following season, when nine-year-old Chad went to his first <laughs> Cincinnati Reds game at the glorious Riverfront Stadium that we'll talk about more later, um, John Bench did not start at third base. It was Wayne Krenchicki. Wayne Krenchicki, who did hit, let it be known, on the 1982 Reds, he did hit 283 Ooh. that year. Uh, his OPS plus that year, 90, which is higher than uh, than Kyle Farmer's career high, 87 <laughs> of this year. Um, so the answer is Johnny Bench, obviously, right? And Johnny Bench actually had a pretty good year That's at close. age 34 that year. Yeah, not even, uh, it's not even that close. Yeah, yeah. Can we just briefly, because we want to talk about this, Kyle Farmer has been the shortstop for the Reds for the last like 12 years. Why are we putting him at third base? Well, the news this week is, I, I hate to give the Reds credit for anything, but you know, on the on the heels of Nick Crawl doing a really good job, given what he had to do for his job, which was trade, uh, getting a good haul. Um, the fact that the Reds called up Jose Barrero, who had not has not been great in the minors, he has that hamate injury, and it takes a while to get over that. And he's been playing better recently, but still. But calling him up and, say, and saying publicly, this is something the Reds have never done. Mm-hmm. He's our shortstop. We're going to move Kyle Farmer, who Barry Larkin said famously last week they need to put a C on his uh, jersey and make him captain and sign him to a long-term deal. Um, I'm sorry. I got distracted by – oh, Barry. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a good piece of business for the Reds. Uh, just give him a chance. And you know what? There's a bunch of shortstops behind you now because uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Carl went out and got all the shortstop. Sink or swim, Jose Barrero. But give him the rest of this season to play shortstop. I, I, I don't want to praise anything the Reds are doing, but given the, <laughs> given the constraints that the Castlings have put on the front office and management, this last week has been a pretty good week in, in that sense. And so I, I completely agree with uh, Jose Barrero. And I hope, he, I hope he plays well. Yeah, for sure. I think he profiles as the best defensive shortstop of you know, anybody that's any of those guys that are anywhere close to reaching the bigs in the next couple of years. So if he can go and be an adequate hitter and show a slick glove, then he can stay. But he probably would not be starting over the 1982 Cincinnati Red shortstop. A young man named Davey Concepcion. Oh, Davey Concepcion. Hey, did you see he was at uh, Great American Ballpark this week? I uh, went and hung out with his old teammate Chris Welsh in the booth. Uh, yeah, Dave Concepcion, uh, what, 34 years old, I think, in 82, but uh, pretty good pretty good season. 287 average, 337 nice on base. Yeah, I mean, um, I love me some Davey Concepcion. Jose Barrero's batting zero, so he's obviously no good. Well, but who 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 did he hit against in his first start? <laughs> Sandy, Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, come on, Cy Young. Um, Dave Concepcion, he's not—he's a Reds Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer. Some people want to claim he's a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, but for me, my generation, which just after the Big Red Machine, Concepcion was our guy because he was the link, the Big Red Machine. You know, he played for the Reds through what eighty-eight, eighty-nine, and uh, 
played his whole career with the Reds. He was he was my guy, so I, I love me some Concepcion. I'm taking him over uh, over Jose Barrero. Now outfield gets ugly. Gets ugly quick. This is where it's uh, maybe kind of even between 82 and 22 now, but is then it? you get to the outfield. Yeah. Um. So for the for the 2022 Reds, your outfielders, I guess at this point we have to choose Nixon Zell's your center fielder, obviously, but and I guess Aquino's your right fielder. And we got Jake Fraley. We got probably Almora, Albert Almora, Almora Jr. Yeah. Probably your left. Let's say Almora is your left fielder. Do we do we give him the nod over 1982's Eddie Milner? Eddie Milner had a 99 OPS plus. He had a 716 OPS. Uh, Almora's not giving you anywhere close to that. Yeah, no. Uh, that's probably Milner's best year. Uh, Eddie Milner famously was the only autograph that I ever uh, got was from Eddie Miller. I was the only person I ever asked for an autograph at, uh, at Riverfront Stadium. And promptly a week later, uh, he, he signed my glove because I was, you know, I was a nine-year-old. I took my glove to the game, right? And uh, a week or two later, I left my glove outside because uh, we were playing catch and uh, left it out in the rain and the, the autograph disappeared. So it doesn't matter. I, I couldn't play baseball very well anyway, so I didn't need that glove, but it's Eddie Milner. Center field, I love me some Nixon Zell. Give me Nixon Zell every single day of the week, unless you're asking about whether he should be better than the 82 Cesar Cedeno. He's probably Cedeno's the second best player on that team that year. Cedeno, yeah, Cedeno's a guy who came up with that with Astros, and so a lot of people thought he was going to be a star. Uh, again, I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit because I know something about Cesar Cedeno, but um, that was a good season for him. A really good season for him. After uh, after Joey Votto's nemesis, Denny Dreesen, probably the best hitter uh, on the team that season. Sorry, so, he, he, yeah, you got to go with – so that's the 82 Reds have two of the three outfielders, but I think in right field, well, <laughs> I don't know, I you know. I thought this was a surefire win. I just looked at 82, and I saw Paul Householder and his 64 OPS plus. And I was like, all right, 23-year-old Paul Householder, yeah. We'll get a slam dunk here. I don't care who it is. It's got to be better than a 64. And I scrolled down, and Naquin's gone. Anybody else we are excited about is gone. It's the Punisher, Aristides Aquino, and his 39 OPS plus. (laughs) I'm still taking Aquino. You you love outfield assists, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think I do. I think I do. And he can occasionally run into one. Oh. oh. It's funny. Uh, you can always tell the people that are, uh, you know, of a certain vintage because we talk about prospects. And people of a certain generation will say, oh, Brandon Larson, he was supposed to be a great prospect. He never panned out. And people of other generation will say Paul Householder. Because he came up young for the Reds, and they thought they were going to be, thought he was going to be great, and he wasn't. He wasn't great. So you could actually make an argument that the 1982 Reds get all three of of the, <laughs> the outfielders in this comparison. My goodness, please no. We're having fun. We're having fun, Nate. Can we go <laughs> to the next question, please? Please. Next one comes from Kyle Kapler. Kyle. 
asks this, could you make an argument that Luis Castillo, first of all, Luis Castillo, rest in peace. Thank you. Just a moment of silence there. Uh, was a reason the Reds didn't make the playoffs last season. Bef and, and First of all, I say that's ridiculous, but then he, he continues. Before you say no, look at his stats in April and May. Um, so you know what I did? I looked at his stats in April and May of last year, and I remembered it being bad. I don't know that I remembered it being this bad. 11 starts, he went 1-8. and eight. The Reds lost 10 of the 11 starts. 7.22 earned run average from April 1st to uh, the end of May. So, uh, listen, that's that that's not good. So, I guess my answer to, to Kyle's question is yes, you can you can make that argument. Uh, but I think I could make an argument for a hundred different things that also were reasons the Reds didn't make the playoffs last season. So, um, Nate, what do you think? Yeah, you, you can say it's a reason. You can make an argument for anything. Certainly not the reason. But seriously, I mean, as bad as he was the first two months, you can't weigh them that heavily and not also weigh how outstanding he was for almost the entire rest of the season. I mean, three of the next four months, he had ERAs under under 2.4 in June. Five games started 1.71. July, six games started 2.15 ERA. He was just lights out. Everything balances out over the course of the season. You replace those incredible three months with the Mike Miners of the world. They're going to lose a bunch more games. So baseball's fun like that. The averages end up working most of the time. Yeah, the rest of the season, June through October, uh, wow, 2.73 ERA. So, you know, kind of vintage uh, Luis Castillo. Um, I think Kyle's not wrong. You absolutely can make that argument because he was bad. He was just so bad. But um, uh, he was a reason. He was not the reason, I think, is the, is the answer to that question. All right, uh, next is, is one from our, one of our buddies. And, and, and Nate, if you, if you don't mind, I, I, I just want to hear you uh, ask, read this question out. Rude. This next question comes from our buddy Joe Farsing. You guys may remember Joe from seeing his pretty face two of the last three episodes and as a regular contributor here. Joe asks, Castellini or Rachel Phelps from Major League? Who's worse? And why is Phil the most punchable douche nozzle? <laughs> well, first of all, let's take the second part of that. Why is he? I don't know. It might be the hair. Maybe maybe his face. It could be the words that come out of his face hole. Just everything. Just all the things. <laughs> all of it, him, yeah. Him. His essence. <laughs> the essence of Phil. I would buy that cologne. <laughs> the essence of Phil. Um, smells like cocaine and hookers. <laughs> Yikes. I hope this doesn't record. I hope this episode doesn't go out. Um, the other part of that question, Rachel Phelps, Major League, you know, uh, I think I prefer Rachel Phelps over the Castellans because at least she is – Pretty upfront over the idea that eh, we don't want to lose. We're trying to lose. We don't want to win. We're trying to lose because um, I want to move to Florida. Which okay, where's the Castellinis? They don't. They won't admit it out loud. What do you think, Nate? Who? Which do you hey, prefer? Yeah. At least she had a plan. You know, you, you got to appreciate that. <laughs> That's true. Also, not to be you know forgotten. Very important. 
former Vegas showgirl. So that's fun. I don't know. I want to see that uh, cardboard cut out of uh, Bob Castellini in the uh, in the Reds uh, clubhouse where they're taking a <laughs> piece of clothing off every time they uh, win a game. All right, Joey Gadiza, not a question. So why are you submitting this to a viewer mail uh, podcast? But quick shout out to the Riverfront panel for always making this fun, even if this season has been a disaster. Thanks, guys. No, no, no. Thank you, Joey. Thank you. Um, Gary Hilliard. Okay, this is the best question. We need to try to run through this as quickly as we can, but this is a fun question. This, Gary, you win the you win the award this week. The trades made this week all but guarantee that Joey Votto will never win a playoff series. Will he be the best player in MLB history to have played 15-plus seasons without winning a postseason series? Now, the answer is no, as we'll talk about in a moment. But um, let me give a little context, first of all. You can make an argument that uh, a a modern-day player would be the best player because – there are more opportunities for modern-day players to play in the playoffs. Until 1969, the only chance you had to get into the postseason was to win your uh, win the pennant of your league, which meant you had one postseason series. You were in the World Series. And so for many years, there weren't that many playoff series to win. So after 1969, and then certainly after the wild-card era, the Joey Votto era, um, more playoff opportunities. So... Uh, but still, uh, although Joey Votto is going to be one of the greatest players, he's not the greatest player to have uh, never never won a playoff series. We had some fun researching this, Nate. I'm going to let you uh, pick the first one, and we'll go back and forth. Well, first one's obvious. All apologies to Joey Votto, but it's going to be Adam Dunn. Joey's not even the best. Thank red. you. <laughs> Why is Adam Dunn not considered one of the greatest? Actually, I say one of the greatest. I mean, the greatest player of all time. Everything about him was perfect. I don't understand why he's so underrated in in baseball lore. Too handsome. Have you seen? He's he's handsome. He's a movie star. He's been in an Academy Award winning movie. He can hold two Bud Lights in one hand. From he's, the bottom. He's, he's perfect he in is. every way. Okay, for, just for a moment here, can we? Uh, He's not. He's not departed. But I just want to take a moment. We all need to take a second here to reflect upon the greatness that is Adam Dunn. Call it Dunn break. Mm, he's dreamy. <laughs> all right. Okay. So so he's one. Yeah. Who else? So the city of Chicago had some rough years, apparently, but they had um, some legit contenders. Um, Fergie Jenkins. Fergie was Jenkins is a good one totally familiar with until I looked this up a little bit. Luke Appling for the White Sox, another one. And then there was uh, another another fairly common name, Ron Santo. Yeah. Which I think most, yeah. most of our listeners will know about. Um, those three stuck out a lot. And it was kind of hard to look these up because it was easy to find out people that have never made the playoffs. But making it never won a playoff series is an extra level there that made it a little bit tough. So I'm sure that the na- there's you know, more names that we'll come up with, but who are some of your big ones? Yeah, no, I mean the Cubs are the obvious. I looked at the best wins above replacement in history, and um, and then tried to figure out which ones hadn't made the playoffs. Uh, at that, I did way too much. It was actually kind of a fun to do this uh, research, and so I, I had a Cub was one of mine. And we can argue about whether he's better. I don't think I don't I don't put him ahead of Joey Votto, but Ryan Sandberg is a Hall of Famer 
who was a Cub who never won a uh, playoff series. Good one. Um, one that on our most recent episode that you pointed out to me that for whatever reason, I don't know how I forgot this guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks, how did I, I mean, yeah. he's got to be inner circle, right? I think he's uh, he's he's the definite answer for a guy that's better than better than Joey. But Joey's got some time left. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, no question. Um, Ernie Banks, Mister Cub, uh, but there was there was one big name that never won a postseason series that I think is there. There are two names I think are at the top of the list. This is one of them. It's Tyrus Raymond Cobb. Old Tyrus, also known as Ty Cobb. Uh, he was Tyrus uh, back when he was in, in vaudeville. A little vaudeville joke for you there, Nate. Doing some vaudeville jokes here. Um, it's late. Ty Cobb played in three World Series. And this is before the playoffs. Played in three World Series, but he was 20, 21, and 22 when he played in those. Lost uh, twice to the Cubs and once to the Pirates. Never played in another World Series after... Uh, age 22 and he played until he was 41. I mean, the guy played 24 seasons. So, um, you got to think Ty Cobb, if we're talking about best players, never win a playoff series, got to be up there, even though he didn't have as many opportunities. And frankly, if he had as many as current day players, he would have, um, you have anyone else that you, I, I've got a couple that I want to mention, but do you have anyone else you want in particular? No, that's pretty much it. I want to highlight the, uh, you know, we, we feel bad for Joey, but the Cubs have had some rough times. Yeah, but screw the Cubs. Who cares? Also true. Yeah, stupid Cubs. Uh, is there a modern day player, perhaps Nate, that's still playing uh, other than Joey Votto? We've got one. a few years before we get to fifteen, but we may be in danger. Baseball fans may be in danger of not seeing Mike Trout yeah. win a playoff. Maybe the greatest player ever when it's over. Yeah, heaven forbid that does not come to pass. It makes me sad. I mean, Joey Votto makes me sad in a different way, but, but Mike Trout is like the goat. I mean, he's like amazing. He's played in three postseason games, lost to the Royals back in 2014 in the American league division series, but only batted 83. So he's clearly not clutch. Overrated. That Trout Completely. guy. Yeah. Not over. He's underrated. <laughs> if anything. All right. Two more before we get out, because I, I do want to mention Rod Carew. Rod Carew uh, played in four postseason series, hall of famer. If you don't know Rod Carew, you need to learn about Rod Carew. That dude could hit. Uh, twice with the Twins, twice with the Angels. Great player. Never won uh, a postseason series. Uh, do you know anything anything at all about Rod Carew? Hey, a little before you. What do you know about Rod Carew? Well, he's the big winner because while he may not have won a playoff series, he is the only person on this list that made an appearance in an Adam Sandler song. That's how I knew he was a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer Rod Carew. He converted. <laughs> The Hanukkah song. Adam Sandler, yes. Um, one last one I want to mention quickly, which is a guy that's not a Hall of Famer, but he's one of the two biggest snubs from the Hall of Fame as far as I'm concerned. One of those is Sweet Lou Whitaker from the Tigers. Complete joke that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and, and the other guy is this guy, Bobby Gritch. Nate, have you ever heard of Bobby Gritch? I think you're making him up. <laughs> Bobby Gritch. Played for the the Orioles and the Angels, and I don't know, maybe maybe he's uh, this is a I don't know if he qualifies or not for this question, but Bobby Gritch played in five postseasons with Baltimore 
and uh, the angels and lost all of them. But he may not qualify because he actually does have a World Series ring. In 1970, he was a 21-year-old with the Baltimore Orioles. And the Orioles, of course, beat the Reds, the Cincinnati Reds, in the World Series in, in 1970. No, seriously, the Reds were in the World Series. You just got to trust me on this. Go, go look it up. But uh, Bobby Grish didn't play in that series. So he has a ring, but he never won a postseason series in which he actually played. But um, we may have to ask the, the Grish family to weigh in on this one. I don't know, but uh, I'm going to put him as one of, the, one of the best players. I think that's fair. We need to ask Bobby Grich if he feels like he won a playoff series. You think that the the bat signal bat signal goes up whenever Bobby Grich's name gets mentioned on a podcast, and his whole family like gathers around the YouTube's to to see what somebody's saying about Bobby Grich? Is that how Google Alerts works? I'm not sure. I think so. I don't. Well, I don't know. I don't know. The interwebs make no sense to me. All right. So that was a uh, that was a great question, Gary. I spent way too much time. Both of us spent way too much time. Uh, trying to look that up. Uh, Joey Votto is among the best to have never mm. won a postseason series. And the sad fact is, unless he gets traded, he's not going to win one. And I don't want him to be traded. Last question from our Patreon crowd. It comes from Thomas Dennis. Uh, this brings up a topic that Nate suggests. Actually, we, we talk about at the top and we, we decided not to, or I decided not to, and Nate went along with it. But, um, it's a good question. At night as a kid, when the weather was cooperating, Thomas says, I could pick up Dodger games in Montana. He lived in Montana. I have no idea why, but I consider myself lucky to have learned about the game of baseball from Vin Scully. I don't say this to be sentimental, but why on earth did I choose to be a Reds fan? Why? Can anyone help me make sense of that? Well, no is the answer to the last part of that, but Nate, can we take a moment here um, to celebrate the life and times of Vin Scully, who passed away this week um, in his 90s, 95, I think. he uh, Dodgers broadcaster for 60-plus years, um, just the greatest that ever lived. And, uh, man, what I don't know. I don't know what else to say. We probably should have let off with that because the guy was so great. Yeah, there's just been some amazing stories going around. So if you've been on Twitter at all in the past couple of days, I'm sure you've seen plenty. But Vin Scully was the GOAT. He was uh, you know, the, the Michael Jordan, the Wayne Gretzky. He was the greatest to ever do what he did. Um, the only times I would ever listen to the other team's broadcast is when the Reds were playing the Dodgers. There's never been a better ambassador for the game of baseball you know, I feel blessed to have had 30-plus years of opportunity to listen to him. I feel jealous for everybody that's a year older than me because they got a year more. You know, it, he, he could do things with a microphone that no one else has ever done will ever be able to do again. Um, we were all blessed, fortunate to have had him sort of be the, uh, you know, that ambassador, that steward for the game. And... If you're a baseball fan and you love the romantic aspect of the sport, then he is, he's the main reason. Well, uh, you listen, if you didn't get a list to him, I feel bad for you uh, because listen, I love Marty Brenneman. Marty Brenneman has been the, the soundtrack to my childhood, most of my life. And I think Marty Brenneman is as good as almost anyone I've ever heard at describing the action on the field. 
just smooth, could tell you exactly what happened. Marty Brennan is a deserving Hall of Famer. Joe Nuxhall was a different category. And I think Marty Brennan would actually uh, would actually agree with that. Uh, there, there's never been anyone better. You know, Vince Scully, he, first of all, he broadcast games on the radio alone. It was just him. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And he would weave that sort of description of what's happened on the field. which He was just better than anyone else. But also the guy prepared more than anyone else. He had stories for every player. I, I genuinely feel sorry for anyone that's a, a real fan of baseball that didn't get a chance to listen to Vince Scully. Uh, here, I'm going to show my age a little bit, but I, you know, when, when satellite radio became a thing, I was so happy because I was able to listen to Vince Scully regularly, whereas you couldn't on the East coast until that. And then of course we get the games on our phones now. And his last few years, I made a point when certainly when the Reds were playing the Dodgers, I would listen to the Scully broadcast, but other times when I just wanted to put on a game, how many times I went to bed listening to Vince Scully just because he's Vince Scully and I want to take every opportunity I could to listen to this guy. Uh, I don't know what else to say. He's literally, you, you mentioned Jordan, you know, Wayne Gretzky. He, in his profession, he's the best that ever was. And I, I, I can't say the best that ever will ever be. I don't know that, but uh, I, I would be surprised if anyone could top uh, Vince Scully. So mm -hmm. respect to Vince Scully, even though it was the stupid Dodgers, but uh if you know, you know. All right, Twitter questions. From our friends at twitter.com slash Riverfront Sensioras. In the parlance of our times, at Riverfront Sensi. First question from Mike Petrie at I'm the MDP. Why didn't the Reds do more to acquire Tim Adelman? Hash Brown Adelman is adequate. It's a, it's a reasonable question. Why didn't the Reds go out and get Tim Adelman at the trade deadline? Everybody's been asking it. You know, he was he's in Triple A Syracuse for the Mets. He was right there. They could have asked for him in the Tyler Naquin trade, and they just didn't. It is front office malpractice, and we should be picketing in front of the stadium. Yeah, as as much as we praised Nick Crawl for some of his decisions he made, this is ridiculous that he forgot to go get Tim Adelman. The Reds are going to get some innings the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. Adelman is adequate, and we need some adequate. Starters. Greg Evers at you think is is it Evers or Evers? What do you think? I'm going with Evers. I feel strongly about Evers. Maybe I, I think back to the old uh, early 19th century uh, or uh, 1900s uh, tinkers to Evers to chance. But he's at Greg Evers two. Sorry you couldn't get uh, the original Greg Evers. You have to be number two, but you're number one in our hearts, Greg. How good will the Reds be next year, and how much will Bob sell the team for? At the end of this season. Okay, first of all, from your uh, mouth to, to God's ears, sell the team, Bob. Um, yeah, it's not going to happen. I'll let Nate say how much he'll sell them for. But how good will the Reds be next year? The Reds will lose 95 games next year. That's my prediction. But that I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch the Reds because, frankly, there are going to be plenty of things to be interested in. Uh, if, you, if you've accepted they're going to be bad, there are going to be plenty of things that will be fun to watch. But I think they're going to be bad. I don't see any way we can avoid it. I don't see him spending money to improve the major league team next year, perhaps the year after. Nate, to you. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm going to be slightly more optimistic and say that they hover around 500 for, you know, throughout the all-star break, maybe just after, and then they'll tell off a little bit and finish in that 
you know, 90 loss range. So I'll give, I'll give him five more wins than you. But as for how much he's going to sell the team for, um, Forbes, 2022, that's this year, if you're counting at home, the team was valued at $1.19 billion American dollars. Now, Bob can just hold out until Mike Moustakis' contract comes off the books. I think that number shoots up to $1.5 bill. <laughs> that's so. your number right there. There you go. Well, that leads into our next question from OK Sharon at Data Hamo, D A T H A M O. What do you think is the possibility of Moose's contract being exchanged for another bad contract at the change of scenery we all want? Who could match up with that? Now, I know you have an answer to this, but my thoughts are I don't know that Mike Moustakis is a change of scenery candidate. I, I just I think his career is over. I don't I, I don't see it. But uh, but I think you did a little research, Nate. You had an answer to this. I try my best to find a match. Probably spent a little too much time. Most of the bad contracts right now are pitchers. So I don't think you're going to get a lot of pitchers that think that they're going to have a positive change of scenery in Great American Small Park, except for maybe Sonny Gray. So the only position player match that I found was Jason Hayward. You know, Moose has 18 mil on the books for next year, plus a $4 million buyout the following. Jason Hayward. So owed $22 million. He's 33 years old. You know, the Reds are going to need outfield at bats, plays strong defense. Do not know what happened to him offensively. And I don't – I mean, it's, it's ugly any way you shake it, but the contracts match up. I think it. if I have to answer the question, Jason Hayward is the fit. Well, the Reds need, are going to need some outfield at bats, and even though I'm pretty sure that Jason Hayward retired like three years ago, um, I'm with I'm with you on that one. Next question comes from our friend, uh, again, I don't know, I, I, he, he interacts with us occasionally, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but Steve M Motion, M-O-W-C-H-A-N, at M-S- Mochan, Mochan, at S-M-O-W-C-H-A-N. How much over market value are the Reds going to have to pay for free agents when they finally begin spending again, considering their history of only trying to compete for a couple of years before another teardown? I, you know, I don't know. The Reds are... Nate, I don't see that they're going to pay that much over, but you disagree they're going to – they'll probably pay some over market value, right? Yeah, I think they have to pay some. It's the uh, it's the price of doing business for a team in a city like Cincinnati. No no shade to Cincinnati, but it's not ranking up there with the, the Los Angeleses and the New Yorks of the world. Um, some of these states that have better tax breaks. Those are going to be more appealing. If the, an NBA equivalent would be Milwaukee or Minnesota. So you got to pay a little bit more to get the folks. But at the end of the day, the dollar value is what's going to get them there. Um, did you see Zach Cozart's social media post? I did, yes. I, I do think things like that have an effect. Zach Cozart just said, oh, it's a tough time for the red legs and their fans. You know, you have a with their model, you have a two-year window to compete, and then they'll just tear it down again. Obviously, we're hoping that this is not the case this time. But I think that um, extending those young guys that they currently have could go a long way. If the free agents can call Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson and say, hey, what's the vibe? What's the scene like? And they can then respond. You know, it's, it was bad for a while, but it's gotten better. Everything's things are looking up. You know, come over here, take advantage of this ballpark, get a lot of home runs, pull a brand jury, and maybe, maybe that can get it. So that's a long way of saying – Yes, they're going to have to pay more. <laughs> well, and it wasn't just but Cozart. Uh, no more than anybody else. I'm sorry. 
No, no, you, no, you're not wrong. I just, uh, Jesse Winker, Tyler Malley, Nick Castellano, someone posted all their comments upon leaving. They're all like, oh, I'm glad to go to a, a franchise that really is trying to win, trying to win a ring. And that doesn't help. But also money talks, you know, if the Reds are willing to spend the money, I mean, first of all, to get anybody, they're going to outbid other teams anyway, so they're going to spend the money. But uh, there may be a subset of players who would prefer to play for a team that has a chance to play in the World Series. And I get that. Um, the Reds are going to have trouble with those guys, but I don't know. I, I have the, the bigger problem I have is the premise of when they finally begin spending again, because I just, I'm not sure that's actually going to happen. Uh, but this is me being pessimistic and Nate told me to stop doing that. So <laughs> he did not tell me that. I told myself that. Um, Drew, Drew at Drew Crabtree 12. Oh, man. So our buddy Greg Evers, uh, he was number two. Poor Drew Crabtree was the 12th, but asks a good question. Will Nick Senzel be on the next Reds playoff team? Quickly, Nate, what do you think? Will Nick Senzel be on the next Reds playoff team? I vote yes. I think he's a free agent. Um, not until 2026. My glass half full. Outlook says the Reds will make the playoffs before then. He's cheap. He's controllable. They have no reason to trade him. Yes, Nixon that will be on the next Reds playoff team. Okay. The I'm answer not is, excited about rehashing this one. <laughs> I know. I know. And I haven't changed my mind in the last uh, hour and a half. There is no player, not a single player on the current Reds roster that will be on the next Reds playoff team. That's my hot take. Just last question. You said you need to be more positive. Yeah, but you know, Noel V. Marte, Marte he's going to come up and they're going to be, they're going to win like four straight World Series. But nobody on the current team is going to be around at that time. That's my, that's my prediction. My hot take, man. I hope love that it or take it cold. And love it or leave it. Super wrong. Matt O'Neill. At Matt O'Neill, he, no, he, he's not Matt O'Neill 2 or 12. Would you rather have a rotation of five Bronson Arroyos <laughs> or a rotation of two Luis Castillos and three Mike Miners? Regular season I want, or playoffs? Oh, it's actually kind of, it's a different answer depending on, it's five Bronson Arroyos for the regular season, right? Yeah, that's what you want. Be. I want that consistency. But playoffs, you may want those two Castillos, right? Shrink it down to a three-man rotation. Castillo, two of those three. I think you have to. But would you rather fight a duck-sized horse or 12 horse... Wait, I don't don't know how the (laughs) thing goes. I I can never figure out how that... It's the second straight podcast where I've screwed that whole analogy up. So if you know it, say it in. It's a Mike Moustaka-sized Jonathan India or five Jonathan India-sized Mike Moustaka. <laughs> Gosh, I'm not touching that one. WV Peaks and Valleys. I don't know what Peaks and Valleys mean. I can't imagine it would be something that our general manager who needs to stop talking might have said. But at WV Red Meat, what's the chance of a beat writer at the beginning of spring training writing an article of how Moose, Mike Moustaka, showed up in the best shape of his life and um, I, I love you, WV, but I, I, I can't decipher the second part of this question. But I will say that there is, if Mike Moustakas, I think his career's over, but 
I think if he plays somewhere next year, someone will write that article that he showed up in the best shape of his life. Now, that shape may be round. I don't know. But uh, someone will write that article. So it's, it's I would say chances are 92%. I like it. I don't know. I've been trying to convince the Reds through weekly tweets to fill out an entire roster of thick boys. So maybe we should keep this around. You have been doing that. Yeah. He actually would fit in. Oh, gosh, Nate. You've lost <laughs> your mind. Mr. Juan Math. Now, the rest of these I don't have um, Twitter handles for because they didn't follow the rules. I said, give us the hash brown, viewer mail. But this is a good question. What's the worst Reds take? And he says, mine was Felipe Lopez was going to be a perennial all-star for the Reds. And to which I say, that's actually not even close to the worst Reds take. Felipe Lopez made an all-star team. He was young. Uh, You know, I, I don't think that's a terrible take at all. What do you think, Nate? Is there is there a worse one out there? There's a million worse takes. Well, there was that time that I said that Kevin Quackenbush would lead the league in saves at least once. That's not aged well. Fear the mighty Quackenbush. Um, yeah, I don't know what the worst take is. Uh, probably something like uh, Adam Dunn is not going to be the best player in the history of the world. That's a bad Reds take. Because he team. ended up being the best, best player ever. Um Wayne Krenchicki should start over Johnny Bench. That's a that's a bad take. So your take, 30, dude. Thirty times in my life when I've convinced myself going into the season that it was going to end well. Those are all bad <laughs> yeah. takes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most of most of your lifetime, all, all of you that are listening, most of your lifetime, when before the season you were like, eh, it could be okay. That's a pretty bad red stake. <laughs> <laughs> William Harmon, I call him Bill because we're buddies, but William Harmon asks this, what was the highest temperature ever recorded on the Riverfront Stadium playing surface? I, you know, I researched this, Nate, and I could not get an answer, but I didn't dive as deep into the research as you. I had some fun, and I didn't want to let this one go by without, without a real effort. So I don't know what the actual answer is for sure, but I do have a guess. So the hottest day in Cincinnati between 1970 and 2002, the years of Riverfront Stadium, was on July 9th, 1988. The temperature that day was 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit. The Reds played the Phillies at home that day, but it was a night game. So temperatures may have cooled off a bit. We don't know. However, on July 27th, 1997, with a high of around 99 degrees, the Reds lost a day game to Greg Maddox and the Atlantic Atlanta Braves. That was the highest temperature on a day game from 70 to 2002. And just for fun, Maddox went six innings pitched, allowing one run on four hits with five strikeouts. So if you count pregame warmups, it's probably that 100-degree day in 88. But if it had to be game time temp, I'm going with the Maddox game in 97. So there you go. Well, the Maddox game is probably over quickly because that's what Maddox did back then. That, that's good. I, I appreciate your your dedication to go look into the almanac and finding out the, <laughs> the farmer's almanac to find out what the uh, all I could, all I could find was that January tenth, nineteen eighty two. This was the Atlantic uh, Atlantic no the American Football Conference Championship game AFC Atlantic Coast Conference is what I started to say there 
Wahoo. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals beat the San Diego Chargers 27 to 7. The wind chill that day was 59 degrees below zero. So to answer the uh, Williams' question, that was not the highest temperature ever recorded on that day. It was it was cold. Facts. Can we do one? Can we do one more question, Facts. Nate, and get out of here? Let's do it. From Woodrow the dog. <laughs> I don't know what that. Is. I don't know Woodrow. Um, show of hands. On who thought Kyle Farmer would outlast D.D. Gregorius in a Major League uniform at the start of 2022, let alone 2021? And the uh, parenthetical information here, he puts hands in pocket. Not me, says Woodrow the dog. Uh, for context, also context, it's late. We've done too many of these shows tonight. The Philadelphia Phillies. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, unless you're D.D. Gregorius, who got released uh, by the uh, Phillies today. And so he's no longer a, uh, a Philly. So, um, no, not me. I, you know, I advocated, and I still think that at the time when he was a free agent, going out and getting Gregorius was, uh, would have been the right decision. Um, instead, we've had Kyle Farmer for the last nine seasons at shortstop, which is fine. I love you, Kyle Farmer. But, um, no, I... Woodrow, uh, no one would have expected Kyle Farmer to outlast D.D. Gregorius, and so, yeah, way to go, heart and hustle, Kyle Farmer. Yeah, those are facts. I do have a theory on this, though, and it's that some players are extra motivated to achieve greatness based on their name. You know, Pokey Reese, he worked his butt off to become successful after being made fun of as a kid for being named Pokey. Mike Trout. You think he didn't get any gr- any guff with a last name like Trout growing up? Lars Newt Bar? I mean, geez, it speaks for itself. <laughs> but the opposite of this is also true. And Gregorius is just too awesome of a name. His name was like D.D. Johnson or D.D. Matthews. Hall of Famer, no doubt. But he was walking around, strutting stuff. The last name like Gregorius his whole life. The world at his fingertips. Too cool of a name. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure I quite understand your your thesis there. I might need to see your full uh, your full uh, uh, dissertation on that, but uh, but I like where you're going. Nate, we got to get out, man. Any final thoughts? No, that was super fun. Um, I think we should do these viewer mail episodes more often. It's just great to get everybody involved. And thanks to everyone that sent questions in. You guys, uh, you you came in hot. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, great questions. It was fantastic. Thank you. We're at, uh, listen, youtube.com slash Riverfront Cincy. Go smash the subscribe button. Again, you've, you have consent. Smash it. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're at Riverfront Cincy. Go. Well, I mean, it literally costs you nothing. I mean, we try to get you to come to patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy and, you know, send us a couple bucks. You don't have to because we're giving it this thing to you for free. Although there are some fun things we do for Patreon. Next week, we're going to do a Patreon hangout, watch a Reds game. There are some fun goodies, but but uh, you don't have to do that. Just you know, go give us a give us a follow or a like, whatever. That's all we're asking. Come on, uh, Nate. Uh, this was at one of the top two podcasts I've recorded tonight. This was fun. It's one <laughs> of the two best. Just, just don't rank it. I don't know if my heart can take it. <laughs> actually, I think I think we actually ironed out a lot of the difficulties. This was actually a. <laughs> I think a better one, and we still went way too long. Listen, for Nate Dotson and <laughs> yeah, for Nate and I don't know who uh, Bobby Gritch or some kind of nonsense. I don't. Who cares? I'm Chad Dotson. <laughs> Go to bed. Good night. <laughs>